Hey listeners, just your regular reminder that there may be some strong language in this podcast. At Art is for Everybody, we speak from our hearts and some of our hearts have dirty mouths. Thanks. Hello, hello. This is Allie, the host of Art is for Everybody, and I'm welcoming you to our second season of artist interviews and conversations about art and what it means to be a creative person. This second season is generously supported by the Southeastern Connecticut Cultural Coalition. And without further ado, let's get started. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Art is for Everybody. I have a wonderful guest, Inasa Crockett, coming up. Um, They are a writer and photographer from Durham, North Carolina. And it was such a great conversation. I had to split it into two. So it's the first time on the episode that um, we will finish up the episode Uh, next weekend. So on December 18th at 8 p.m., you can um, listen again and listen to the entire interview. Um, And we just had so many great things to talk about. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Hello, hello, everyone. It's that time in the episode where I talk about what's connecting my brain and heart. And this week, it is mutual aid. Yay for solidarity. We take care of us. Um, I just have gotten to witness some really amazing um, people in my community um, reach out and support each other in some really amazing ways. And this is how we do it. It's small, it's local, it's person to person. And um, it creates like real community and we need it right now more than ever. Um, I also have been reading a text by Peter Kropotkin, um, who is um, really one of the major philosophers uh, of the 20th century, um, who spoke about mutual aid and how um, we really do take care of us and we have what we need because we have each other. Um, so shout out to mutual aid and I hope you also remember that art is part of mutual aid and when we share art with each other we share ourselves with each other Uh, so keep sharing art with me and um, your fellow humans and remember art connects the brain and heart Hello, listeners. I am really, really um, blessed to have had this conversation with our next featured artist, who is um, Inasa Crockett. Um, and, you know, I cannot remember when I first started um, following them on Twitter. And we became mutuals at some point. Um, I want to say it was like 2015, 2016. And I just really respected what they had to say. Um, They were um, always like participating in really interesting conversations about art and particularly like how we encounter art and how it affects us. 
and doing some really smart stuff in media. Um, if you are familiar with the hashtag, your slip is showing. Um, they were a huge part of developing um, some of that. And um, then I found out that they made art and I really uh, enjoyed their Instagram and we enjoyed each other and I asked them to be on the podcast. Um, and I, it was so great to actually hear their voice because we've communicated in so many ways, um, visually with like emoji and, um, you know, we're very active, um, on Twitter together and that has been a great kind of continuous conversation. And now we had an in-person conversation and to record it and make an archive of it for the podcast is a really special thing. And, um, we had so much to say to each other. Um, uh, as you'll see, uh, I had to stop kind of in the middle of our interview, um, cause I didn't want to have a two hour podcast. Um, so this is going to be a two-parter, our first one, um, but it definitely deserves the time. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Thank you so much for joining me at Art is for Everybody. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so just a little note to our listeners. Um, we have known each other for a while on social media but this is the first time we're hearing each other's voices which is really cool (laughs) so thank you so much I'm I'm so glad you're here and so I'm just going to jump into our first question and that is what is your earliest memory of art or art making earliest memory um I wow well art's like always been a part of my life since I was literally you know the kid you know three years old in ballet tights or whatever um definitely one of my earliest though is I'd say dancing around the kitchen table with my dad (laughs) um there is a song that we liked there was actually a couple songs that we liked we're kind of like you know the really big music people um in the family and I just remember you know like seeing um you like kumbaya like around the table and doing just like a little march dance where I was just like following him around because that was like a popular song in my like preschool or whatever for whatever reason (laughs) yeah and then um there's a song called Bustin' Loose I cannot remember the name of the band who does it it's like this they're from DC they're like a go-go band there there's many people who's gonna be like I can't believe you don't remember this band but um that was just our favorite song and then we would just kind of sing our own version of it and dance around the table um so it was this cool thing of kind of like you know yeah there's like art already out in the world that you know like songs that have been around for a while or songs that you know someone else created but you can still put your own spin on it right you can still Mm. engage in it and like you know like you know if you're listening to like busting loose on the radio it's not like there's a dance that goes with it but you can have this moment of like hey there's this piece of art and engaging with that art i create new art with people you know in my family and my community and that I love um yeah I'd say that's that's like definitely one of the earliest another early memory was um um I am of the generation that was like deeply impacted by Macaulay Culkin okay <laughs> um, the home alone fair, movies fair. Were, like really really big and after seeing those movies all I wanted was just like 
Like, I want a little recording tape just like he had in the movie so I can, like, walk around and, you know, share my thoughts with, like, my little recorder or whatever. And my parents bought me, like, a basic tape recorder. Um, And for years, I I think, like, up until I was, like, maybe, what, like, seven or so, I would just, you know, record my thoughts, make up songs, um, record the radio and all these little cassettes. And we held on to them for a really long time. I think they... You know, there was like a big yard sale maybe 10 years ago and we finally like they disappeared somewhere. But um, Oh my gosh, what if they ever turn up again? <laughs> I can't, oh my God, it would be, it, it, it would be, <laughs> there's a lot of off-key singing. Um, oh, yeah. There's so can much very loud so off-key singing. I, I have n- never met anybody. I did that as a kid. I really? Had, like, I did, so I'm a little older than you, I think. So I had yeah. one of those like, box they were like a it was a single cassette and a big old like speaker and they had it uh-huh. had a little handle uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and like yeah. you could like record right and it was yeah right that this would have been like probably around like 1984 to 1986 because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was I know I had one when he moved to like one of my new houses so that's when we moved and I would like interview my family my cousins yeah. and like people my mom's friends and then I would just talk to myself and I would record things off the radio yeah exactly. yeah I would totally do that too that's so cool absolutely I totally like for you like literal years literal years like I yeah recorded my friends I think there was a couple times when like you know my friend just like took over (laughs) you know it's like like mine now and like they had it for like an hour and then I like listened back to whatever they recorded like very proto-podcasting you know you know what it really was it really was very proto like of course we all have podcasts now of course we do (laughs) well and I, I I think too like we were before the interview started we were talking about tapes and like I I can't quite put my finger on it like why I like tapes so much but I was talking to my partner the other day and one of the things I really like about it is it's music in my pocket and in my ears without being connected to a screen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then yeah. also I have that like I mean I'm just so used to keeping yeah. around a little tape player like it's almost like yeah. a comfort there's like a yeah. comfort object like the physicality it. of it yeah like the material yeah. kind of like yeah and then just having to I don't know like it's different when there's like a phone that you can just kind of slip into your pocket and it's designed for a pocket or you have like your bluetooth you know earpieces and it's whatever but then like okay I want to go out into the world but I have this like you know walkman yeah right? <laughs> I did I bought like an actual like I mean it's not a real it's not like a genuine walkman but it is like it's like a little cassette player yeah, and it's I like hook up my my little beats too, you know. It's like now I have this physical thing that I kind of have to work into my, you know, whatever, which can totally change. Also, you know how you listen to or engage with music. Like I remember doing that in college, where it was like you know, um, like literally the iPad, not iPad, iPod, mm. just became a thing. Like was just becoming a thing as I was starting school, and. But I remember like my freshman and sophomore year having a CD player 
and then you know in the morning being like okay well like what music do I want to listen to today like okay well I have this class later so I'll probably leave that class way like this so let me take this cd and then having to like figure out a place again like with my stuff and on my body and like I remember I had this purse that I had to wear a specific way because then I could put my cd player in it and also put my cds in it and they wouldn't get scratched and like you know that (laughs) like it was I don't know it's a very different way of like experiencing music than we're doing now I think Oh, yeah, where you can just have thousands of songs. Yeah. I mean, touch your fingers. It it's thousands of songs. So, I mean, I love that this childhood story has, like, brought us to the present, right? Um, but, like, let's kind of go to the second question, which would bring you a little forward in time. So maybe when you were making those, like, little, you know, like, you were wearing those CDs around, did you, as a young person, did you have an artistic kind of like mentorship with anyone or was there even like an artist um, that you admired in the world or did you have any contact with artists as a youth oh yeah totally um my so I grew up very like um with parents who were very um wanted me to you know um experience like have a lot of different experiences um and they're very gung-ho about like you know um encouraging my abilities because I was like totally one of like those like gifted overachieving tons of extracurricular like kind of kid okay um, it's just that like my extracurriculars were the arts right sure. um mm-hmm. so I've like I want to say like you know from a kid like I've been you know dance class um piano lessons um you know all of those type of things since I was a kid and I'm really grateful for it because I, I like I really did get a chance to you know like I think I was like what in middle school and I like you know got into like manga a little bit so like you know my parents like took me to like a couple of classes for like you know drawing or that type of thing um like in high school um there was like a, and also growing up in Atlanta because I was born and raised in Atlanta and there was just a lot of stuff you know oh yeah Atlanta is a huge art city yeah there's you know there's it's a very sort of vibrant arts culture and there were a lot of um stuff being made available for kids to participate in like when I was growing up um a lot of I mean honestly a lot of it it's traced back to like Ted Turner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like Coca-Cola money or something like at the end of the day like you kind of trace I'm like what summer program is this okay let me trace somebody back yeah it's like Ted Turner basically like paid for my arts education that's, um, a, that's kind of it well actually probably it was probably more like Jane Fonda right because yeah was also that yeah. you know like don't yeah, give it to him give it to her <laughs> yeah I, I will give yes Jane Fonda thank you Jane appreciate you Jane keep up the good work Jane <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep getting arrested like she's good she's gotten arrested recently a few times I yeah she's uh, I I appreciate her you know living one of the people who I feel like okay I don't know everything about her but I'm like it seems as though you've been pretty consistent with your stuff mm-hmm. over the years and that apparently is a rarer you know thing in this world today mm-hmm. um but yeah so I I grew up like just kind of surrounded by the art my dad was a visual artist is a okay. visual artist. Um, he, um, you know, there was paintings and, and stuff in the house that he'd done, like, um, a, like you know, portraits of my family or just different, um, you know, um, just different things throughout the years. He also, you know, wrote and like did all this other stuff that I didn't know about until I was older. Um, so there was there was always that. Um, his mom was um, 
also artistically inclined. She was, um, um, uh, I don't want to say preacher. What's the problem? Pastor, pastor's wife. And she was like sort of the musical director of the church. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was like even like a, a play that she wrote for the church that was like, you know, like an anti-drug play or whatever. But it was like original <laughs> music and all this kind of stuff. And we were visiting and I got like a little bit part like towards the end of the play. Um, so I was definitely like very much immersed in the arts um, growing up. In terms of like an artistic mentor, I... Or even somebody you admired where you were like, yeah, they did it. I can do it like that too. Yeah. You know, this is... (laughs) This is going to sound like super silly, but I'm going to like kind of, I'm going to try to like make it sound less silly. Honestly, honestly, Michael Jackson. Okay. No, <laughs> like, that honestly. is super valid, right? <laughs> like very, um, because I, you know, I would say that growing up, I, you know, even into high school, I, um, it, the stress was more so on the performing arts and the visual arts. Um, the visual arts I got into like later, um, but even to like high school, you know, in high school, I was in a musical, a local musical theater company. I was a dance major in college. Um, and Michael, you know, obviously is just, you know, I was born in 1987. Like, you know, I was born the year his Bad album came out. Like literally was just mm-hmm. birthed into like, like it was his decade. You know what I mean? Like it was his time. No, I, I remember I like seriously, like, I think I was like four or five years old. Like I remember when that album came out because like I was like, I told my mom with all seriousness, I was like, I am going to marry Michael Jackson. Cause like yeah. my kid had, that's like what you do when you no, love somebody seriously. that much. Right. Yes. 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 And like, we were huge, honestly, like, like Michael Jackson fans in the house. I would say though, that there definitely is artistic mentorship in a way because what my mom would do with, with me is that we would like literally sit down and just kind of dissect his performances oh wow you know like when I like now that I'm thinking out thinking about it like she would just sort of point out to me like you know how he did things how he presented himself um you know when I was doing my little um you know precocious child reciting you know like a Maya Angelou poem at like you know the Kwanzaa formal celebration or whatever she was like you know so just think about like you know how Michael Jackson does you know like it was like him as a performance standard um was something that was just it wasn't just like oh like he's he's so great and we're all fans it's like he's a really great performer and these Mm. are some of the reasons why you know um so I I really feel like that and then also like I have a whole I have a whole other soapbox about like you know Michael Jackson's kind of a singular performer talent and his impact on pop culture and how we're still still basically like living in his world um and you know we can see that with like even someone like the group bts where it's just like oh yeah oh yes so we are here in like 2020 2021 and like you know you guys are from this completely sort of context that supposedly doesn't have anything to do with like you know michael jackson's context but like you guys are literally still performing his choreography and it's not even like you're like you're the first to do it like like usher did it chris you know like there's just sort Mm. of this way in which he's like this performer i think whose legacy you know given given like the way his career trajectory went like makes sense but there's like yeah he was a really singular talent that shaped a lot and i don't know that we've all really come to terms with how sort of fundamental that shaping is but that's like this is never so box that's something else i'm working on but um well that's something too that like we can't that's something about the arts i think that we cannot know how important something like a movement a style 
a way of being, a way of performing. We cannot know how important it is without the context of time. And mm-hmm. most people who like experience it won't know how important it is because it's like a hundred years from now where, where people mm-hmm. are like, wow, we're still being affected by it. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like one of those, like kind of, I, I think uh, one of my soapboxes is that like capitalism and art are incompatible. And that is one of mm-hmm. the reasons because mm-hmm. capitalism and long time are incompatible. Compatible. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Like it, and that's like one of like the, like they, it, they become, yeah. So yeah. It's I, like, I, I have like an capitalism. entire soapbox. I think, I think on every single podcast this season, I've been like, in capitalism. <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> I mean, but you're right. Like capitalism destroys the future for the now, right? Like capitalism mm-hmm. is not about, you know, looking forward to the future and sort of thinking about preservation. It's about like maximizing profits now. And if that means that like, you know, the planet has to die in order to do so, then so be it. And like, you know, what what is artistic preservation? You know, what is what do artistic legacies and maintaining artistic legacies look like in, you know, a world where it's just like, well, the oceans is on fire. So how do we, you know what I mean? Like the oceans are rising and they're on fire. So what, how do you, how do you continue these. Yeah. How yeah. does that yeah. look? How does that yeah. look? Well, I mean, I think that's a great transition into like, why do you want to describe um, your artistic practice today? So you said that like you started as like performance or performer, and now you um, are more of uh, in the visual artist or even photographer. Yeah. So why don't you describe like how you make your art and like what sure. processes you use? Sure. Um, we. So yeah, so totally background in performance, um, dance, a little theater, um, that kind of thing. And then um, most of my time the past few years has been more so spent um, with the non-performance arts, um, especially in terms of like a, sort of a lot of writing criticism or curation, right? Of stuff where I'm like, okay, mm. I want to this blog where I'm just like, okay, here's you know, like here's sort of a central place to look at or engage with, um, especially like black art, um, particularly black art, black performance, black, you know, cultural production. Um, Again, because especially in a digital age, right? Especially um, in an age where it's it's so easy to consume and discard and and move on to the next thing and not really, you know, have sort of a place to anchor everything and sort of place things in a wider context. So that that's been the thing I've been doing more so the past two years. And then um, I studied photography. It, like, even when I was doing the performance thing growing up, I studied photography and studied filmmaking. Um, I never really seriously considered photography as like a, you know, like a thing. I really, I just really enjoyed it though. Like I super, mm. super enjoyed it. Um, but then I like got into film and I was kind of like, well, film is like you know, more of the thing. And then I like got out of film because I was like, actually, I don't like the way, you know, I think if, if I like, you know, approach film from um, of like a from the because I was approaching it, like, I guess most people would like, you know, like from the film industry side. But I think if I were sure. to approach it from like the art side, right, then like that would have been a different experience because film from the filmmaking side is about like business. It's not about the actual. Right um process like it's not about the actual film itself it's about how do you get a film made in this industry which is different from can be how do we can we like let's make a film right (laughs) yeah like I I would just want to make and like I'm inching back towards that but um 
it's it, it's a lot more it's i'm just like i don't really want to like deal with people who can't even like see me as a full human. like I, like the idea <laughs> of me coming to, like okay i have a film idea and now i have to go to a bunch of people who can't even see me as human <laughs> and then convince them that this vision i have is worth funding when like again you don't even see me as someone worth being funded no matter what my like that's a whole god bless the people who are able to do that and navigate that I'm right just, i don't i can't i'm not well, i think the film industry is like i mean I, to a certain extent most arts you have to like have patronage right mm-hmm. right um, which patriarchy is built into that word mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but so you know like first of all you just even to enter the arts in this day and age you have to like be able to like do that but i think in the film industry particularly it's just so extreme yeah so extreme really extreme and i understand and and this is like something that i've as i've gotten to photography one of the things i like about it is that it's very like direct like i pick up Mm -hmm. a camera i take a picture you know and like obviously it can be more complicated than that right but it's like versus you know i pick up a camera i have to you know find film or i have to you know figure out a digital medium that works that great i have to you know like do the editing do the um music do the collaboration like there's it's a far more i personally it's a far more mediated sort of art form right like it's you have to work with people you have to kind of do this big thing and i like working alone <laughs> mm. i like you know what i mean and like i like sort of um i feel like i'm more in space now where i'm just kind of like i kind of want to answer to like myself and my own artistic vision before i have to kind of mediate it through a whole bunch of other people um mm. Especially, and I think there's like, you know, sort of the, that's kind of one of the things that maybe can keep film from being um, all that it can be because like, yeah, you, a lot more equipment and a lot more stuff, a lot more money is sort of inherently required right. um, in order to make this. So yeah, you do kind of have to, you know, there's, there's more opportunities to make compromises in a certain way in order to have the thing you want done. Like I'll leave it to whatever, whether or not it's, you know, the quality of those compromises. Um, but with photography, you know, it's just that. And then to kind of loop it back around to what we were talking to before the interview, um, the technical sort of fetishization of photography. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, in going back to the millennial thing, you know, growing up, I like born in 87. So definitely had the experience of doing like the analog thing right before the mm-hmm. digital thing came along. So when I was growing up, it was, you know, point and shoot, it was disposable cameras. And when I first studied film photography, it was like, you know, the High High Museum of Art summer program for, um, you know, kids. Shout out again, Jane Fonda money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Again, shout out. Um, And we learned how to make photos in the darkroom, right? Like we had film, it was black and white. And we like went to the darkroom and I loved it so much. It's super fun. (laughs) I loved it. I cannot wait to like get to a place where I can get back into the darkroom, right? So the analog always stuck with me Um, and, you know, also got some digital training, but I just really, I like film. I like the materiality of film. Um, So most of my practice these days are with analog cameras. Okay. Um, But it's also, I'm getting back into, again, sort of the basic analog stuff we grew up with, like disposable cameras, Polaroids, um, in part because... I want to sidestep the sort of, um, well, not sidestep, but I'm less interested in the technical sort of 
fetishization, right, of photography or of like the photographic approach where it's like, okay, well, you need this equipment and it needs to be, you know, like the, you know, these specific rules in terms of lighting, these specific rules right. in terms of composition, these specific rules in terms of whatever. Um, again, knowing the tools of your trade, it's right knowing how to make stuff whatever you're well I think the dark room can be part of that like so like the dark room like I always think that of the dark room as like the craft side of photography Mm, it's mm -hmm. like the handcrafted part of the photography Mm -hmm. experience right yeah and so I just like my I went to college and I graduated college in 2002 and so the first digital photography class was offered in my senior year of college Mm. And so I like went to school fully dark learning the dark room. I have a a bachelor's of fine arts in photography. So like I learned I can print color photography like we had a color lab in our school. And so I and and then I got really into like alternative process, which is like yes. the opposite. Which is that, so right? cool. Which yeah. is so well, I was gonna say, cool. like, if you really like film and you love the darkroom, alternative process is absolutely woo, it's like that, that, that like, crafty part of it. Yes, that is absolutely my goal because I'm finding myself now where I'm like, again, like from like you know working with like okay the more technical stuff and now but the place now i'm like okay polaroids and polaroid emulsion lifts like the mm-hmm. way that I, you mentioned the handcraftiness and i think that's like literally what i miss from the dark room and what i sort of am trying to get into with the more analog like the simple analog stuff it's like okay i can only take this photo right and i can turn it into something not even something else i can one turn it into an art object like it's now it's its own thing it's not just a picture it's like an actual fucking art object and then to me like I'm not at all interested in making technically perfect photos I think if I was a portrait photographer I'd be way more into that obviously because people want to look good and people you know all that kind of stuff but I'm more into you know landscape nature experimental photography so for me it's like I'm really interested in how you can make these amazing pictures that are moving, that tell a story, that bring um, sort of hidden and unknown things to the surface. And I feel like you can do that very much via, you know, like when photography started, it wasn't, you know, the super high tech, whatever else. It was just like, how do we get the light into making a print on the thing? And then we go from there um, yeah you know yeah. like it's just that it's just kind of like how do you capture light and shadow like just that very sort of basic you know aspect of photography is just sort of what I'm totally interested in digging into now um and I ultimate goal is to be able to um um print onto like I've seen photographers who do things like they're printing onto you know seashells they're printing onto old tins they're printing onto mm-hmm. you know fabric like always like I totally ultimate goal is to be able to you know move back and forth between photography and like photography art objects and then to you know incorporate them into some of the other stuff that I you know enjoy doing like also took piano for like a super long time um also been playing with like you know like making beats and like you know ambient music and stuff kind of like off in the back ambient music and ambient photography could work really good yeah 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 so i feel like i'm at this space now where it's like all right i'm kind of like i'm settling to what it is i actually am into what it is i actually like you know after spending the last maybe like the first year of getting back into it like starting in 2019 to like 2020 and then like the last year feeling like okay no this is it and now i'm like okay so now i know i want to take it in these 
other direction. So it's like, um, my goal right now is to spend the next year just doing exactly that, like figuring out what those processes look like and how they work for me and how I can kind of, you know, eventually begin to create these, all these sort of interconnected things that I see. Mm, um, like a body of work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like right now, I feel like my biggest priority is to create this body of work, you know. Um, I feel like everything else kind of will come after that. But right now, it's just like, all right, well, body of work. And maybe I'm just like also feeling that pressure just because of what we're all going through, like globally right now. And it's just like, okay, well, if I can come away from anything in this moment, you know what I mean? Like, I have no idea what the future holds or what we're all going to be going through for the next couple of years, but like, here, have some art at the end of the world. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's all I've got to offer right now. Creation in the face of all this destruction is really, there's something, I hate to use the word hopeful, but like, there's something very, it's like defiant almost. Yeah. I, and I feel like, you know, going back to what I was, how I said I've been spending the last few years um, before getting back to photography, where there was a lot of, you know, um, like there's curating and stuff and there's a lot of like criticism, like social media, you know, like just writing about like doing the social cultural, you know, commentator type thing, right? Or mm. writing art, life, politics, whatever, and just sort of, you know, seeing, seeing where things fall short and how they could get better. And it's not that that's not a needed um, thing right now, because it definitely is, because um, the propaganda is at all time high. But right, I, right. I just want to be able to have something other than like, excuse me, I want to be able to offer something other than just critique at this point. Mm. You know, like, and not to, again, not to downplay it or say it's a bad thing, but just, you know, I... I, I want to be able to give something more than just like a commentary on why someone else's work like kind of sucks and falls short, you know? Um. <laughs> well, yeah, I think too, there's something that can be consuming about that in a way, particularly mm-hmm. in our current like media cycle. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I really respect the work that you did. I think the work that you did is important, but I could see that it was like exhausting as well. Yeah. And, like, it's... I think you can do that same sort of like, criticism with visual art too Mm -hmm. I think like it's possible Mm -hmm. to do both and and, you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. sometimes like I I have this impulse in myself that I'm very self-critical of my own work yeah so (laughs) when I'm doing it outside of myself like maybe for my job or my income is dependent on it I have to be really careful because it feeds like something not as nice inside me Mm -hmm. um and so like gosh I'm struggling for that balance too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I wonder go ahead um, oh (laughs) I can go go first um it what it's wait what was I gonna say (laughs) it's it's um it's it can definitely yeah like it gets you into a space where like I I feel like there's been some really great criticism that I've read there's been some okay let me not say really great criticism because I feel like I remember the really great criticism um there's been there's been you know I feel like at a certain point I looked up and it was like okay 
there are different, you know, like articles written by different people where they're talking about, you know, in response to, you know, um, a piece of media or a piece of art or even just something, a, a moment that happened on, you know, social media or something like that, um, that has to do with art and culture or whatever. Um, and they can, you know, make very salient points or whatever. But like, if I think about it, I'm like, okay, they wrote this article about whatever it got circulated for like, you know, a couple of days. And then it's just sort of like, you know, it's it's out of it's out of sight out of mind um you know it's mm. like something on their resume which like great for them but i'm just like in terms of like the wider impact you know like what does that what ultimately does that have and again it's not that criticism should you know whatever but if if i make criticism i'd want it to be a bit more long lasting than that and also again i just want to you know like i don't know like a, i feel like if it's like you know a photograph doesn't really have the same sort of or an art object of any kind doesn't have the same sort of cycle of like consumption and like being discarded that a lot of other stuff in, especially again in our social media age has. And so it's mm. like thinking about again, like in a time where it seems like so much is crumbling, we're like, well, what does it mean to build something that not only can last, but can also like sustain things outside of itself so that it maybe then can create other things and we can like go forward from there as opposed to just sort of endlessly cycling through these sort of various like outrage cycles that are kind of like mm-hmm. you know, which is its own, that's its own consumption cycle right yeah yeah exactly like, that's its own kind of and I think about it because I'm in recovery as like an addictive cycle too mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like this like like this like anger machine and yes we should like yes we should be angry about things like we should be upset about like dehumanization of any people and and the kind of like systematic pressures of that and like there's so much more and we can still express anger through art and photography Mm -hmm. and and dance and, mm-hmm. and performance and film but that kind of anger when it's expressed it's like it's not a poison anymore it's like something yeah. else right yeah. it's like, there's like yeah. this filter one of my friends Ariel talks about how like artists are like sponges and filters and like coral Ooh. reefs and then we like take in this stuff Ooh. and then we filter it back out yeah oh, I really like that idea yeah, right? She's oh, a man. comics artist. Yeah, she's super talented. Ariel Bordeaux. Hi, Ariel. Hi, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. That's, that. Thanks for that metaphor, Ariel. That's yeah. really... Wow. Yeah, that's... And, you know, I think it also... It, you know, I feel like there's a... I guess responsibility, right? I feel mm. a responsibility towards creating especially like you know having a following having a presence to whatever extent um it's like okay I'm under no conceit that I'm like you know like a big fucking deal like outside of you know like sort of just my little corner of the internet but like all right so if we're all here (laughs) you know we're all here on twitter.com we're all here on instagram we're all here like in these shared digital spaces trying to figure stuff out I don't want to be one of those accounts where like all I kind of have to offer on tap is outrage you -hmm. know because I like that's like I like I'd rather be a gastropub than a McDonald's (laughs) you know like I'd rather I like if you want to just you know like 
yeah sure like if you just want you know like fries and, and like a beer or something like like yeah like sure I'll have, like maybe there'll be something there I'm just like okay like I think you know like what what outrage cycle um yeah I think this mar like this thing that Marvel did is like stupid or whatever like yeah sure I'll definitely like have those moments yeah but, yeah because we're human at the end of the day so you know you can have a little fast food but if again if we're all here <laughs> at the end of the world and we're all just trying to filter this it's like okay well here's you know like here's like i don't know an artisanal burger with like truffle right. butter here's our farm to table salad yeah like i don't like you know like i'd like something i'd like for there to be something to offer something give some quality like look yeah, I, I am a junk junkie here. don't get me wrong like i can write a paper on the beauty of uh combos yeah listen i'm here i had i had the fish sandwich comments from McDonald's the other day <laughs> with two cookies it was the best decision i made that day that was it's one of my never... pregnancy cravings <laughs> oh my god the reason why i always say the reason why i love it love mcdonald's as well specifically french fries my mom always says like yeah when i was pregnant with you french fries are my craving so mm. so she's like i think i pass that on to you and i love like i especially especially fast food french fries like yeah even, like, all the farm to table stuff like fast food french fries mcdonald's french fries mm-hmm. like yeah but again i would just i don't know so yeah i'm saying that it's and it, is, it can be destructive you know on a mm-hmm. personal level like you said oh, so yeah, yeah I like to watch out for yourself well so yeah. i love that you're like returning to art you're returning to this like creative process what are the themes that you feel like um, you're you're speaking to in your work? Oh man, I definitely. Um, well, my primary my primary interest right now is on on the land, on land, on place, um, on memory, and on black life lived kind of in these spaces mm-hmm. um i'm I, I mentioned earlier like i'm not a portrait photographer and i'm there's there there i'll probably eventually work with people but right now sort of the only f- photograph subject that i'm interested in photographing is myself um because i kind of have a lot of feelings around um blackness and black people hyper visibility especially after last year um especially after the George Floyd uprisings, especially, you know, like after um, the sort of second movement of the, the, or the second part of the Black Lives Matter movement and just, you know, just sort of this constant, constant circulation of images of Black people, you know, um, dying, being murdered, in distress, you know, experiencing trauma, all these kind of things. Um, and, and just how uh, easy and sort of accessible it is to have images of us in that state one and even in like the stuff that's meant to um push back on that right even like the sort of visual narratives that are you know focusing on black joy or black personhood and and all those kind of things um i think that there's um a a kind of on one hand i think that in terms of people you know making nerves and pushing back and all those kind of things i think there's like a, enough of that out there right now like i don't feel sure. particularly cool to like contribute to that um which isn't to say there's anything wrong with it just me personally um and then i just i i'm i'm interested in sort of 
not sort of, I am interested in subverting um, expectations of the visual, especially when it comes to blackness. Um, Like there's uh, like, so if we're talking about like blackness in history, like how do you understand that if it's just like, you know, a picture of say an empty field, right? Like there's no sort of black body to kind of, you know, hinge your expectations on or sort of load up with that, you know, honestly sort of centuries long, you know, history of like narrative, narrative stuff that is placed on black people um yeah. and sort of their visual fields never really show up so i'm i'm really interested especially being from the south especially um you know doing having a degree in southern studies especially living here for like most of my life outside of going to undergrad um outside of new york city for four years um i'm really interested in how black histories intersect with histories of place in the South, um, histories of the land, histories of the built environment, um, mm-hmm. especially in ways that are, that are you know, um, unseen, that aren't uh, immediately visually apparent. Um, you know, like, so for example, there's a, a park nearby, um, living in North Carolina, there's always a great park nearby. <laughs> And uh, I went, you know, like kind of like big national parks, right? And so I went to this park and I've been going to this park for, you know, since I moved here. Um, And then I was scrolling through uh, North Carolina's Museum of History Twitter page, I think it was. And there was a picture of, um, you know, some like old black and white pictures of black folks, you know, like by a lake in a park somewhere. And uh, I don't remember all the details. I have it tucked away somewhere, but the caption was something like, oh, like there's, you know, they they were no African-American folks in this park. Um, This is that and the other. Um, This park was actually segregated. On this side, there was an all black park. On this side, it was a white park. Eventually the park, you know, was unified. And now it is the name of this park that is literally the park down the street I've been going to since I moved here. Wow. So there's this entire history of segregation that like you go to that park, there's no markers, there's no whatever, there's none of this. But like, once you know that, right? Like, so then for me, once I learn and sort of know these kind of things, it completely exchanges how I am then experiencing this built environment. Right. Yeah. And then, so then how do you, you know, like, how do you, then do you visually sort of bring that up? And I think for me, that's where like the um, getting back to the um, analog, right? Sort of approach. Sure. Um, that's like where you can start messing with the film. That's where you can start messing with the print. That's where you can start bringing in other archival, you know, um, images, words, sounds. Um, like now I'm working on a, a series of uh, botanical uh, emulsion lifts where I'm looking at a specific um, um, plant. So right now I'm looking at like the Japanese silk blossom and looking at like sort of the history of how that plant got to the United States. Right. right? I was going to say like botanical history of like how, cause like it's so it's loaded. Oh, so loaded. It's super, super loaded. And I first got hit to it when I was, um, I spent a few ill-begotten years in a PhD program at, in history at Vanderbilt. And there was, um, someone there in a different cohort who was doing a whole thing about like English botanical gardens and like colonialism mm-hmm. totally blew my mind right and so like for example um the, the plant I'm looking at is um I call it a mimosa tree it's more I think it's Japanese silk is like what it's more so known no, as but I know that tree because that's all over the south yeah yeah it's all over the south right and like you know of course it has this long like you know there's a history of like, you know, Italian merchants and this and the other, but then there's a very specific history of like a very specific guy, you know, um, coming along and bringing it to the South. And then um, that guy, you know, 
being part of, you know, like, well, not being part of the slave trade in terms of like a merchant or whatever, but just that slave labor was implicated in his work. Oh, um, yes. And Do you like, know the man's the, name? I have to look it back up. Is because he French? I don't wanna, yes, I think he's French. I think so, he's French. This is such a, I'm having like a moment. This is such a weird connection, but I spent a few ill-begotten years at working as a a craft interpreter at mm-hmm. Middle Pla- Middleton Place Gardens in Charleston. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so part of that job was like learning the history of the gardens. And I think this oh, is the guy. He's the guy that brought the camellia tree to the United I States. I think this is the same guy. And he I, brought I'm like tea plants and everything. Yeah. yeah. He And like I came across... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And there so, was, like, like, yeah, we should we should talk about that him. more because, like, I, yeah, that that's how I knew about that when you mentioned the botanicals and how loaded they were, is because I wow. remember that because he brought, like, he was part of also like directly influences the slave trade. Yeah, in, in I Charleston think he was because of like, like he brought Thomas tea Jefferson, even like yeah, he might have brought like, plants to Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, yes, yeah, and he would like hybridize plants so that they could grow them more efficiently. And he actually at a Middleton place they grew like it's called Carolina Gold Rice. Mm-hmm. He was a big part of making like that a viable plant, and like that was like a huge part of like the the slave Atlantic mm-hmm. slave trade in right. Charleston and it like right. that's what like fueled exactly. it exactly exactly yeah. and like I love taking pictures of like you know flowers and all that kind of stuff like there's a part of me that's like well not even a part of me there's like the side of me that's like okay we also need to make money it's just like I can like like make prints of like basic prints of flowers and like sell them to a hotel or something but like because I mean I really do enjoy it but it's just like yeah there's these like when I say submerged histories that's kind of what I'm talking about mm. it's like yeah like okay so you just look at this tree and I like I love this tree you know ever, since I was a kid like it's so beautiful and then again you look at the history and there's one specific article where because there's a mural I want to say in Charleston like based around this guy and there's like a whole you know historical society um that was like pushed for the mural and everything else and I was just you know reading about it and I remember at one point they were like blah 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 blah. he had 11 slaves and it's like kept going and I was like well wait 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 time out wait hold on wait (laughs) like rewind back that up and like I had to you know I was like kind of looking up stuff for like maybe you know well, I mean, I kind of know how to do research at this point, so it didn't take as long as I could. But it wasn't like, oh, right there, right? It was like right up front, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I couldn't find these folks' names. So now I'm just doing, um, experimenting on how I want it to look exactly, but doing work around, you know, the number 11, you know, um, with making it on a typewriter, um, like on waterproof paper, um, and then using... Um, because we have a mimosa tree in the backyard and that's the tree I've been working with primarily in terms of photos, although I've taken some more photos like over the past year that I'm also using, but um, like using dirt from like the base of that tree to color the watercolor paper to color like sort of the the number of 11 and then experimenting with like pol- Polaroid emulsion lifts on top of that paper. Um, mm. So, you know, kind of bring together. So these are full multimedia pieces. Yeah, yeah, basically. Like I feel like, you know, again, once you move into multimedia, once you move into art objects, it feels... I feel like there's another way you can bring those histories to the fore, like along with, right, the picture or along with the sort of, you know, photograph in a frame type of thing. But well, the way, like, there's like layers you're create like like you're literally creating la- layers, right? Mm-hmm. Literally, because you're using different media. But then there's also like 
engagement layer so you can just like engage with it as like this like beautiful stunning piece of art but then like you can dig down and like that's mm-hmm. it's like submerged but like you're making mm-hmm. it explicit right yeah yeah thank- i should write this down wow what a wonderful conversation uh we were having and um i thought that was a good place to kind of pause uh, and we'll come back next weekend and listen to part two of that episode but in the meantime i have some notes if you would like to check out inasa's um photography um, and some of the images they spoke about um you can check them out on instagram at shoot true and that is um at s-h-o-o-t T-R-E-U. And they also um, collect and organize some really beautiful images um, and videos of Black and African art um, under the handle at Kane Curate, and that's at C-A-N-E underscore C-U-R-A-T-E. So definitely um, check those out and then maybe come back and listen next week and you'll have a little bit more of an understanding of where they're coming from. And finally, um, we spoke about French gardeners. (laughs) And um, so they are two separate people that we were speaking of. Um, And uh, Inasa was speaking of a French gardener and um, landscape architect named Andre Michaud. And I was speaking of uh, a French gardener and architect named André Lenotre. <laughs> so, um, you know, they were both involved in gardening in both France and um, the United States and both did use slave labor to create those gardens that many people still visit today. So, you know, if you want to do a deep dive, you can really dig into the connection between botany, gardening and colonialism and the slave trade. Um, It's a pretty dark history, um, but I think it's important that we look clearly at history. And um, I think that's, you know, why we make art too about this kind of difficult history is it gives us another entrance into, um, you know, that kind of space of learning. And I hope that you continue to learn with us and continue to listen uh, and uh, come back next weekend for part two. Hey friends, it's just me, Allie, and I'm going to be doing a solo recommends and I'm saving um, uh, the featured artist recommend for part two. So you have to come back for that and it's a good one. So um, you don't want to miss it. So uh, this week though, I am going to recommend independent media in the form of radio. Um, Streaming radio has really opened up um, some independent radio uh, hotspots. And I just want to recommend two that I love to listen to pretty regularly. I like to listen to Cygnus Radio. Um, and you can find them on CygnusRadio.com. And I love to listen to KP The Word. Um, and they appear and they're a local um, 
New Haven um, DJ, and it's always just a really good set, sometimes with spoken word and poetry in between the songs, and she is so knowledgeable, so um, shout out to KP The Word. And then the second recommendation is WCNIRadio.org, or if you're in the New London area, they're 91.9. And I hope I got that right. I'm sure um, somebody um, we know will correct me if I got it wrong, because I particularly love to listen to Sline on the radio, um, and he does a really rad and amazing set on Mondays, 6 to 9, so that's Sline from 6 to 9. Um, and, you know, it's not every Monday, because he trades with a new DJ, and they're really interesting too, so just like Monday 6 to 9, check it out if you want to... Um, get some new music. It's not always local, um, but it usually is good. So check out, if you don't have access to those radio stations, check out your local radio station. There's still some like really great independent media out there and they need us listening and they need our support. Um, because that's where like all these like small, amazing bands, um, start. So, um, I hope you find a radio station that makes you happy this week. And that's my solo recommendation. Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of another episode of Art is for Everybody. Um, shout out to all the folks who have reached out recently and told me about listening and where they do it and, um, that they learn from the podcast. Um, That's always been my intention for us to, um, share what we know and hopefully connect through making and talking about art. Um, and as you know, this is a two-part episode, so I hope I see you or (laughs) hear you or (laughs) feel you next weekend. Um, remember December 18th at 8 p.m. Uh, tune in for the second installment of my interview with Inasa Crockett. And remember, art connects the brain and heart. Whenever, like, I just want to have everybody meet each other because I know all these rad people, like, from all yeah. over the world. And I'm just like, y'all, like, just like, one day it'll happen, or maybe not. Like, we'll know each other one day. I'm totally like, I'm kind of um, in a space now where I'm like, okay, like, Virgo season, I'm like, very much like you totally caught me in like a place this morning where I'm just like okay like if people are gonna be fucking mad that I just exist and say words then like let me actually make sure that like I'm building something or doing something that's gonna be like worthwhile so I'm just very much in this place I'm like yeah let me actually connect to people who are sincerely about the art and sincerely about like no let's figure out a way to do this shit that does not rely on you know, institutions mm-hmm. that does not rely on clout, that does not. So saying all that to say that, like, legitimately, you're just like, someday we'll meet. And I'm just like, we can also hop on a Zoom call and just, like, start an email listserv because, like, <laughs> yeah, like that's, let's like, just... actually, like, how you do it, I guess. <laughs> I love it.
And I always say, like, I never win raffles. I never win, like, prizes or, mm-hmm. like, in, like I'm not, I don't have that kind of luck, right? Right, right. I have getting away with it luck. That's honestly even better. <laughs> it, <laughs> like, my I, personal yeah. experience. It's, like, stuff that, like, and then I, I say that it translates to art luck, right? Mm-hmm. Because then, like, sometimes mm-hmm. I've had so many times where I'm, like, working in, like, an artistic medium. And my teacher will be like, I don't know why it works, but you yeah. made it work. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, thank you. I do that. Yeah. It's, that. it's my thing. Yeah. I'm not really good with precision. I'm good with, like, chaos. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I actually, like... Yes, I I feel that way also about like my approach to art, especially over the past like couple years as well. Um, especially yeah. something like photography, where it's mm. like so e- it's so easy to like get into the whole like you can be the most technical photographer, you know, and yeah. this kind of goes into like the technical. Oh, how there's no, no, there is no. Deep, there is like at a certain point, it's just like so. Do you just like want to work at Best Buy, like? what are we actually you know like what are, what's what's the actual thing that's really get a kick out of um and i think it's i think that technicality can be i think it's intimidating in and of itself um it can be and then i think a lot of times people especially men will gatekeep sort of the art oh via yeah the technical Oh, yeah, right and it's stuff. just yeah, yeah like t- with the technical things and like i do think that it's important for people to technically you know know their craft whatever it is like it right, is right right know how to do it you know to the best of your abilities um i think you know like you to me that's like non-negotiable you know what i mean um but there's like <laughs> I feel like there's, 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 I call it like it's a fetish fetishization, like they fetishize the equipment. And it like really is. And it's not even that like brand new because like look at those big lenses. I do. right? Yeah, it's In it's just like big and and I'm like I don't I don't know I what mean, I have I have my like so my friend Maza like she, I she is a technical photographer and she knows her she loves her gadgets mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. she knows them do you know what mm-hmm, I mean like mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she's one of the few people that I actually allow to photograph me because mm-hmm. I'm super mm-hmm. sensitive about it but mm-hmm. she's not like in that like what you're talking about in this like kind of like patriarchal machismo way right. We're where just she's so just like, like where she where she but she's just like oh have you seen this cool new thing this lens it like creates this like starburst effect it's gonna make you look like a fairy and I'm just oh like, I love that so she's that like gadgety yeah. which I think it's like the difference between I don't know there's like a whole I think photography particularly falls under that category of being like gate kept by like equipment and technical mm-hmm. ability but really mm-hmm. like 